Today I want to tackle one of the most controversial and misunderstood areas of nutrition. Can you guess what it is? Yep, carbohydrates. On the one hand, most people are getting way too many carbs in their diet, especially sugar and refined carbs. And when they cut out carbs, they find they can get themselves out of this insulin resistance finally lose stubborn belly fat, get rid of brain fog, and have more energy. Well, it's no wonder people think carbs are evil, right? But there are some people that a low-carb diet for an extended period of time can backfire. Let's take a deep dive. Welcome to the Perfect Metabolism Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Vance. I'm a nutritionist, yoga instructor, and author of the book, The Perfect Metabolism Plan. I've been focused on metabolism optimization for over a decade, and I'm here to tell you that contrary to popular opinion, it doesn't have to be all downhill after we hit 40. This podcast is general in nature, not medical advice, and for informational purposes only. Talk to your doctor if you have questions about how this information applies to you. So on today's podcast, we'll look at the pros and cons of a low-carb diet some common pitfalls, signs your low-carb approach could be backfiring, and how to know if your body is handling carbs well or not. And I'll introduce you to the skinny starch. First, we need to start at the top. What are carbohydrates? Carbohydrates are a type of macronutrient that are basically comprised of chains of sugars. Simple carbs contain one or two sugars in their chain, like mono or disaccharides. Complex carbs contain three or more chains of sugars, polysaccharides. Now, simple carbs are broken down quickly and therefore are a quick source of energy. Whereas complex carbs often contain fiber or their starches, and they take longer to process, so they provide longer-lasting energy, they fill us up, and the fiber feeds our microbiome, or our gut health. As I discussed in the last episode, one of the main drivers of metabolic issues is a diet high in sugar and refined carbs. And Millions of Americans are just getting too much sugar and refined carbs. And so it's no surprise that so many people are struggling with the stubborn weight gain that comes with that. And they often will find that getting rid of the sugar, cutting down on the refined carbs significantly can help them not be as hungry, improve many, many of their metabolic markers like triglycerides, blood pressure, cholesterol and allow them to finally drop that stubborn weight, especially in the midsection. According to the New York Times, a low-carb, higher-fat diet can help people improve their heart health markers and also lose unwanted body fat. A study found that people whose diet was comprised of at least 40% dietary fat, 13 of which was saturated, were found to lose more weight, about 8 pounds on average, in a year's time, and have better inflammation and triglyceride markers than the people who took in less than 30% fat in their diets. The people who had lower fat intake also lost muscle along with any fat loss, which is not good for metabolism. So if you're like me and you grew up in this whole low-fat fiasco, 
now we're realizing that this was an absolute mistake. Another study supported the low-carb approach. It found that doubling the intake of saturated fats did not affect the levels of fats in the blood. Again, this was a lie we were told during this whole low-fat era that fats caused fats in our blood. And the study also found that an increased intake of carbohydrates increased the levels of fats in the blood. According to Dr. Darius Mozafrian, he is the dean of the Friedman School of Nutrition Science and Policy at Tufts University, which is a very prestigious nutrition um, department. He defined carbohydrate as the primary driver of circulating fats in the bloodstream. He said, white bread, rice, cereals, potatoes, and sugars, not saturated fats, are the real, real culprits in our food supply. Hmm. So, going low carb in our diets, especially getting those simple carbs out, can be a very useful strategy for anyone that's dealing with metabolic syndrome. Metabolic syndrome is basically defined as abdominal ob obesity elevated triglycerides, elevated blood sugar, and elevated blood pressure. So if you've got those things, you know, you might consider going on a low-carb diet. The interesting thing, you know what all those people are told? Is to lower their saturated fats. They're told exactly the opposite. Other people, um, you might benefit from lowering your carbs if you have a more sedentary lifestyle, because you're not going to be burning those carbs when, you know, with people who are exercising intensely. Um, another group that may find that lower carbohydrate diets might help are people with chronic and systemic inflammation, because there's evidence that a lot of foods uh, that are higher in carbohydrates and sugars and gluten and things like that are going to be contributing to the inflammation. And then another population that might benefit are some people with autoimmune conditions. In the case of autoimmune disease, many will find that going paleo is a good approach, which is basically avoiding all grains, legumes, and sugar. Um, some people with autoimmune conditions will also find that they do better when they remove nightshades from their diets. Nightshades are um, f foods like um, uh, eggplant, peppers, potatoes, and tomatoes. I have a whole chapter in my book, The Perfect Metabolism Plan, about food elimination diets and who might want to try them and various different things. I'm definitely going to be doing an episode coming up on that as well. But just know that these are some of the people that may benefit from reducing their sugar, especially as well as their carbohydrate intake, especially the refined carbs. Now, some people might even want to take a more extreme lower carb approach, and that's called a ketogenic diet. Ketogenic is an even lower carb, almost probably zero sugar, very, very low carb, higher fat diet, sometimes upwards of around 60% of the diet coming from fats. Now, keto, one of the original purposes of keto was that it was used in children who had drug-resistant epilepsy. When children have epilepsy, um, there will be a certain population of them that don't respond to any of the drugs. And 
I don't know who discovered this, I should look into who discovered that a ketogenic diet actually for some of these children, now not all of them were responders to the ketogenic diet, but some of them, a percentage of children with epilepsy are indeed helped by a ketogenic diet, which again is a very, very low carbohydrate, high, high fat diet. Another group that may benefit from going ketogenic are persons with Alzheimer's disease or dementia. Some experts are now referring to some types of Alzheimer's disease as type 3 diabetes because there is evidence of insulin resistance in the brain of many um, sufferers. I highly recommend uh, a book called The End of Alzheimer's. It's written by a neurologist, Dr. Dale Bredesen. Um, he has worked extensively. He's doing studies. He's working with patients. And he puts all of his patients on what he calls a keto-flex diet, which is a his he does a little something different with keto is that he adds in plentiful amounts of antioxidants and fiber-rich um, leafy green types of non-starchy plant-based foods. Um, so they're all on a very low carb, higher fat, um, but then he also finds it really important to include antioxidants and fiber-rich plant-based foods because he wants to feed the microbiome. I'm going to talk about this in a minute, as well as, you know, there's some evidence that antioxidants help with um, brain health as well in these patients. But I think it's interesting, the fact that there are certain neurological conditions like epilepsy and Alzheimer's and dementia respond to lowering carbs, tells you that there's, you know, this is affecting our brains as well. So now, you might be just super excited to jump in this low carb idea. Um, let's talk about some of the ways people, you know, some of the mistakes that can happen on low carb or keto diets. One is actually being afraid to actually get enough healthy fats. This is actually extremely common, especially if you're someone like me that, you know, lived through decades of low fat brainwashing. Um, you know, it's really important to understand that you can't just lower your carbs. You need to balance it out by increasing your healthy fats. Um, and some people will find they might need to increase their protein a little bit. Where, If you're on a ketogenic diet, though, you want to be careful not to increase your protein too much because it can throw you out of ketosis. Uh, key, basically, a ketogenic diet swaps your body from th uh, running on glucose, and it uses fat as an alternative fuel. So that means going into ketosis, and sometimes protein can throw you out of that. So, but this idea of dialing up the carb, dialing down the carbs and dialing up the fats, I call it the carb fat seesaw. I don't know if they have seesaws on playgrounds anymore, but it, you know, you kind of, one balances the other. So when you lower your carbohydrate intake, you're going to want to dial up your healthy fats a little bit. Um, the higher you go with the carbs, the lower you should go with fat. So that seesaw approach. Um, many people find that kind of a balanced approach works the best, like a 40-30-30, so 40% fat, 30% carbs, 30% protein. As mentioned, that is in the study that I mentioned earlier, that 40% fat number does appear to be metabolically beneficial. If you're going to go on a ketogenic diet, you you will probably you'll be getting upwards of around 60% fat. So you want to choose those fat sources wisely. I have a whole chapter in my book, The Perfect Metabolism, about fats, but you're going to want to get things like, um, you know, avocado. You're going to be choosing fattier cuts of meat. I know it sounds very counterintuitive, but again, if you're going to be doing that, get the grass-fed animals, um, avocado oil, coconut oil, um, 
grass-fed butter, tallow, that kind of thing. So again, if you're going on a ketogenic diet, you're going to get upwards of 60% fat, very low carbs, very low glycemic. And to me, you know, I've never really done a ketogenic approach. And, you know, initially, it might sound really, really fun. But to me, the idea to just eat that much fat, it's, it's a lot. So, you know, I think you have to understand what when you're doing something like this, you want to know what your goals are, what's your motivation. And if your motivation is, I want to prevent Alzheimer's disease or epilepsy, then you've got a lot of motivation. Uh, another mistake that can happen is people not getting enough total calories or food. This can put the metabolism into famine mode. And then, you know, the result can be to slowing the metabolism down and messing up the hormones. Um, again, you know, I mentioned not getting your protein amounts right. Um, protein is important for building and maintaining muscle, so you want to get enough. It's going to help keep your blood sugar level and keep you satisfied. Um, but again, if you're doing keto, sometimes you can get a little bit too much protein and throw you out of ketosis. I think the other thing that can be a mistake is being too dogmatic. You know, if, you're on, if you've been on a low-carb diet and it's really benefited you, but then all of a sudden it's kind of stops working for you. And I'm going to talk about some signs that your low carb diet isn't working anymore. You know, being willing to maybe try and make some changes instead of being so dogmatic and sticking to something that's not working. So just know that, you know, sometimes certain approaches that work for a while may stop working. So just stay tuned to your body and know when it's time to make some adjustments. This is another big mistake that a lot of people make. This is super important, especially in ketogenic diets, is not getting enough salt. Salt is another one of those things that's been wrongly maligned. We point the finger at salt for high blood pressure, but did you know that high sugar diets are more highly correlated with high blood pressure than salt? Because when we have high sugar diets, we're retaining sodium. So when you ditch the sugar, your body starts to release that sodium that it's been retaining. And on a low-carb diet, when your insulin levels go down, your body's going to start shedding excess sodium and water that goes along with it. That's why a lot of times people will lose like, you know, three or four pounds like in the first couple of days uh, when they get the carbs out because you're actually getting rid of a lot of excess bloating and water weight. Um, but remember, sodium is a crucial electrolyte. I think of it kind of like a spark plug for the heart. And low sodium levels can become problematic when you're, when you're dumping too much of it. And this can be one reason why people can experience side effects of low-carb diets. They can feel kind of lightheaded, you know, dizzy upon standing because you're too low in your sodium, fatigue, headaches, lead cramps, even, you know, constipation. So when you go low-carb, it's kind of, again, another seesaw when you lower your carbs, you get to lower, you get to increase your sodium intake because you're going to be retaining it a lot less. So that's kind of good news, right? Um, but make sure you're getting high quality unprocessed salt. The brand of salt I like is called Real Salt. It's from an ancient salt mine in Utah, so it's not contaminated with any microplastics that might be in some sea salts. And it's, you know, it's nice pink colored, but it's going to be a little bit less expensive than Himalayan salt. So if you are still of the belief that salt is bad for you, I highly recommend a book called The Salt Fix. It's written by this doctor called Dr. James D. Nicolantonio, and it will literally blow your mind. Uh, I definitely want to do an episode on that coming up as well. 
So another problem that can happen when we're going into a low carb, especially ketogenic approach is trying to just jump into it. You know, if you're going from all, you know, eating like loads and loads of sugar and refined carbs and you suddenly drop into like a ketogenic diet, this can actually be problematic, especially for someone who has gallbladder issues. And if you've had your gallbladder removed, it's going to be very un challenging and uncomfortable to suddenly eat that many fats because our gallbladder stores and releases our bile as needed when we consume fats. And if you don't have that or if your gallbladder is not working optimally, that can be a problem. I actually met a woman when I was working at the Golden Door who told me that when she went on the Atkins diet, this was, I don't know, 35, 40 years ago, she said, she, you know, dove into this... Uh, ketogenic diet the basically the all the atkins diet the entrance phase is basically a ketogenic diet and she jumped right into that and she had a gallbladder attack and they actually had to remove her gallbladder so i think she's kind of you know it's sort of on the rarer side for this to happen but just know that i generally recommend easing into it with a lower carb diet um, doing the changes a little bit more gradually. And, you know, sometimes also taking like a digestive enzyme can help with processing that fat. It's really super important if you, um, you know, don't digest fats very well. Another problem that can happen with going low carb, especially keto, is ignoring your gut health. So if you think about it, carbohydrates are where our bodies get our fiber, right? And when we suddenly, a lot of ketogenic diets are just, low, you know, we're, we're not getting fiber anymore. And this can affect our gut health. Now, on the one hand, it can actually be great for someone who has like SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or some kind of dysbiosis in the gut. Because when you have that overgrowth, fiber can actually cause bloating and other issues and make you uncomfortable. And so generally, sometimes you can get some relief from those problems by lowering your carbs, especially fermentable carbs. But in general, fiber supports healthy digestion and it's the, it serves as the food for our good bacteria. So one thing you can consider is... Um, taking some kind of supplement, you know, probiotic or something like that. I really like this product called Prime Gut because it contains this really cool ingredient called butyrate, um, which is like magical for gut health. It has spore-based probiotics, which help to seed and feed the good gut bugs. And it also has something called immunoglobulins, which can help support a healthy gut and immune system and metabolism. I've got a link to that Prime Gut supplement below. It's something I've been taking for like five months, and it's literally the best gut supplement I've ever um, had. The other thing I want to talk about, um, I'm going to do a little mini episode on this, is called resistant starch. Um, and that's another thing that can help with um, healthy gut bacteria. Uh, if you're trying to go lower carb, resistant starch is a really cool thing you could add into your diet. I'm going to do a mini episode on that. So tune into that. And I also have an ebook on resistant starch for you as well, linked below. And then another thing I really recommend is anytime you're going to go into a, a dietary change like this, you know, is to kind of get some blood work done, you know, do a before and after kind of look, um, you know, see what, what do your lipids look like, what's your fasting insulin, your glucose, A1C, all of that, because then you can see real time, you know, how is this diet helping me? Is it improving my triglycerides? Is it improving my lipids? Um, 
you know, some people, especially people who have two copies of the APOE4 allele, can be referred to as what's called hyper-responders to saturated fats, which means that they can get their cholesterol levels to go up really when they're eating a lot of saturated fats. So those people might just want to, you know, it's even more important for them to keep tabs on on their, you know, blood work and stuff like that. Um, you know, so just that way you have a whole nother way of knowing how it's working for you. So while, you know, low carb diets can reset our insulin sensitivity, it can be the factor that really gets people's metabolisms going again. The problem is once we do that, sometimes, you know, you're, what's going to happen is you're going to reset your insulin sensitivity. And as your body recovers some of its insulin sensitivity, you might actually be able to reintroduce some carbs back into your diet. So sometimes for some people, low-carb diets, when they're done over an extended period of time, can actually backfire and lead to a bunch of other problems, including thyroid issues, insomnia, hormone problems. Some studies even show that over an extended period of time, low-carb diets can actually contribute to insulin resistance, which is the very condition that it initially improves, right? So I've got an article that I linked to below in the show notes to if you're interested in reading more about this. But I'll give you kind of an example. I can't tell you how I've had like a handful of women that have told me that they've that have done the whole 30 program multiple times. I don't I don't know if you if you don't know what it is, it's basically a low carb paleo type of diet and you know they've got all these online resources, a bunch of books and you know basically what it does is you take sugar, grains, legumes and alcohol and dairy out. And I can't tell you I've I know a handful of women who've done it multiple times. The first time they did it, they magically released weight, lost like, I don't know, seven, eight pounds or whatever, felt great. But they've also said to me that subsequent times of doing it, despite following it exactly the same to the letter, they didn't have the same results. And so those are some people that potentially maybe long-term low-carb diets aren't working as well. So here are some signs that maybe your low-carb diet could be backfiring. First, sleep. This is a really, really big one. If your sleep suddenly is not good, carbohydrates, this is, this is the thing. R listen to my episode, if you haven't already, on stress, the stress monster, because I talk about how high levels of cortisol at night are a major contributing factor to insomnia. Now listen to this, carbohydrates help to lower cortisol levels. So if you're doing low carb, that can cause your cortisol to go up a little bit. It, contribute to your, it can contribute to stress in your body. So if you're having low carb for an extended period of time, it may be creating a little bit of a stress response in your body and causing cortisol rhythms to be off and higher cortisol in the evening. Here's the thing. Sometimes all it takes is adding a small serving of starchy carbs 
in your dinner time. One of the problems with carbs here, especially in America, is when we go out for pasta, what do we do? We have an entire plate loaded down with a pound of pasta, right? What I'm talking about here is like a quarter of your plate, like a half a sweet potato or, you know, some roasted potatoes, a small serving of rice, um, you know, a small serving of pasta, something like that, some kind of nutritious carb, you know, better, you know, it's better if you can have some kind of nutrition in it. Um, so that's one of the reasons why I actually, one of the best meals I find to have a small serving of carbs is actually dinner time. Because again, carbs are going to help to turn off your cortisol and support sleep. Um, I also recommend using resistant starch in the evening. Again, I'm going to talk about that. And I've got a recipe for um, a resistant starch drink that you can use in the evening to help support sleep as well in my ebook. So another sign that your low-carb diet could be backfiring is if you've lost your period. This is sometimes called hypothalamic am amenorrhea, and it usually means that your body is kind of like in starvation mode, it, and this can happen when your hormones aren't getting the nutrition they need. Women are particularly sensitive to lower carb diets because our hormones need carbohydrates more than men generally. So if this happens, consider eating more and trying to get some more carbohydrates in your diet, reducing your stress, because again, that can contribute. And maybe also getting rid of cardio for a little while and do more calming exercises like yoga, walking. Um, I've got an article linked below about how to eat for a hypothalamic amenorrhea. Um, so if that's something you're dealing with, definitely give that a read. Another sign that your low-carb diet could be backfiring is if you're just tired all the time or if you've got some kind of adrenal fatigue or if you've got thyroid issues or maybe you've, you're having some fertility problems. There's really a lot of evidence, again, that our hormones, especially if we're, you know, we're having some fertility problems or hormone issues, that can be from, from not having enough carbs. So um, definitely some things to think about. Another sign that a low-carb diet could be backfiring is if your weight loss is stalled. I, I mentioned that whole example of women, you know, who responded really, really well the first time to a paleo diet, but then subsequent times it wasn't working as well. So if your weight loss has stalled, or sometimes people will find that they're going to gain weight on low-carb diets, especially, um, you know, keto as well, because again, you're getting a lot of fat and that can add weight if it's, if it's not working for you. Um, other signs can be having a hard time getting out of bed or you're losing your hair, or your hair is thinning. Again, that can be a sign of hormonal issues, thyroid. Um, I'd mentioned digestion problems. That's another sign if, you know, if you've been on a low carb diet for an extended period of time and you've starved your good gut bugs for too long, um, sometimes it can cause digestive issues. And just, again, knowing women in general may not fare as well as men on very low-carb diets for long terms. You know, obviously there's exceptions to every rule, but that is something that um, generally can, can, you know, be true. So again, you know, carbs get this bad rap, but we have to remember that carbs are a very broad category as well. You know, fruits and vegetables fall into the carbohydrate category. We can also think about carbs as whole carbs, like fruit and vegetables, or refined carbs. So if, you know, you're 
eating stuff with refined flours in them. I'll give you an example, pretzels. You know, I used to be literally addicted to pretzels. And when I realized that pretzels were very, very high on the glycemic index, glycemic index is is a scale for how high and fast a food spikes your blood sugar. So a food doesn't have to be high in sugar to spike your blood sugar like it does sugar. I think pretzels are like a 70 on the glycemic index, which is considered high. So because it's made with refined flour, it will be converted to sugar very quickly, broken down and converted to sugar quickly. And then you get that crash and burn after it because it doesn't have, you know, the fiber to stabilize it. So just remember, whole carbs are unprocessed and contain the natural fiber, whereas refined carbs are processed. Most of the nutrients and fibers are removed and they spike your blood sugar higher and faster. So nutritious carbs that come paired with fiber, vitamins, and minerals like vegetables, fresh whole fruits, will give you long last, longer lasting energy. They'll satisfy your hunger better. Uh, they will provide that nutrition for our hormones and thyroid and all of that. And they, they're not going to spike your blood sugar as high and give you that crash. So um, one of the things a lot of people ask me is, okay, well, how many carbs should I have? And really the answer is it depends. The amount of carbs a person needs depends on a number of factors. You want to find the right balance for you for the time frame in your life. So first of all, if you're sedentary, you probably, as I mentioned, will need less carbs because when, when you're sedentary, you're not regularly burning your sugar carbs and the glycogen. Glycogen is um, when we store sugar in our muscles. And if you work out intensely and do endurance activities, your body's going to deplete your glycogen in your muscles, which is another place for us to store um, sugars. Just, but just remember, sitting is the new smoking. So if you are sedentary, one of the best things you can do is gradually get more movement in your life. Start with easy activities like walking or gentle yoga. So again, remember, if you exercise intensely, regularly, you might be able to handle more carbs. Um, you know, there are cases of very low-carb, high-fat endurance athletes, but generally speaking, people in endurance sports will, you know, want to make sure that they're getting enough carbs for, for energy and muscle building. Now, if you have insulin resistance, prediabetes, or metabolic syndrome, and that basically means your body is not really responding to insulin and therefore it's not effectively processing carbs and sugar for energy. That means it, you probably will benefit from lowering your carbs until you can improve your insulin sensitivity. Another group of people that um, need to be careful with low-carb diets are people with high stress. So if you're going through a period of high stress or you've got some thyroid or hormonal issues, this Again, remember from my episode about stress, it causes blood sugar dysregulation. High levels of cortisol, stress hormone, causes spikes in blood sugar. So being under stress, remember, is kind of like eating a candy bar. It spikes your blood sugar, but you didn't actually get to eat the candy bar. You just had the spike in blood sugar. So when you're under stress, you're going to be more prone to blood sugar lows and highs. And that, you know, can make it difficult um, to be, you know, super low in carbs, because again, that can further drive your stress levels, remember. So just make sure you're eating for blood sugar stability. You're starting your day with something in the morning. Don't drink coffee on an empty stomach. That can just further spike your cortisol levels. Um, so 
eating for blood sugar stability, that that perfect metabolism rule of three, make sure you're, you're getting some kind of healthy fat, protein, and or fiber-rich carbs. Um, and then another category of people pregnant or breastfeeding or trying to get pregnant, again, low-carb diets definitely can be um, backfiring in this situation because, again, your hormones are maybe not getting enough nutrition from the carbohydrates. Now, there are some populations that can be low carb and can get pregnant, and but I, you know, just make sure you're working with someone who's a qualified practitioner that can help you make sure your hormones are balanced. And then the other issue is if you're if you've got some health issues or you're taking medication, because if you go on a low carb diet and say you're on insulin or blood pressure or cholesterol medication, making dietary changes may impact your need for those medications. So you want to be aware that, you know, that you might need to be working with your doctor to um, change your dosages. Sometimes people can even get off their medications. So you want to be careful because there have been people who have had dangerously low blood sugars or, or their blood pressure goes too low with a combination of dietary changes and the medication. So again, definitely, you know, work with your doctor on this process. So as far as deciding quantities, how much carbs, um, I really like uh, Dr. or he's a Harvard research, researcher, Paul Jaminet, his guidance. He says, a mildly low-carb diet, which is about 20 to 30% carbs, appears to promote longevity. That would be kind of like, you know, as you get older, um, promoting brain health and all of that. A carb overfed diet, which is like 40 to 50% carbs, would be promoting fertility and athleticism. And then he says a moderate carb diet, which is about 30 to 40% carbs, is kind of essentially neutral and placing mineral, minimal stress on the body. So those are just some kind of good guidelines to really think about as far as how many carbs you should be getting. So maybe... Maybe you want to stick to the low-carb. Maybe low-carb is sounding good to you. Or maybe you're realizing that perhaps your low-carb diet isn't kind of working as well as it did in the past. I find because people have hated on carbs so long, even if they know their low-carb diet isn't working, they just fear carbs. They think carbs cause weight gain and are evil, right? So sometimes that mental shift of getting more carbs in your diet might not be easy. So... Here are some of my suggestions for that. One, choose your carbs wisely. Is it nutritious? You want to select carbs that have naturally occurring vitamins, minerals, considered nutrient-dense carbs, foods like vegetables, fruits, uh, certain whole grains, if you do well with those. Um, and just avoiding heavily processed carbs or carbs that are lacking nutrients. I'll give you an example. Like I do occasionally enjoy, enjoy a potato chip, but I look for a potato chip that has like three ingredients olive oil, potato, and salt, or maybe an avocado chip or something. I really kind of prefer those two oils or like a coconut oil potato chip. I never have the kind of potato chips that like have all the flavoring and all of that. Those flavorings just hijack your taste buds and your metabolism, and they just add so many ingredients that we don't need, right? So be, be, a, be a label reader, um, avoiding foods that have refined flours in them or, you know, mile-long ingredient lists. Um, be wary of foods that are high in sugar, foods with enriched flour, um, because knowing that those, gonna, those are going to be robbed of nutrients. 
one of my favorite carbs to add back into the diet are the root vegetables. They're very nutritious. They're very nourishing to the thyroid and hormones and adrenals. Um, and I have kind of a funny story about um, root vegetables. In my nutrition classes at the Golden Door, I occasionally would mention that Carrots are one of my favorite hormone-balancing foods because they have a really unique fiber that helps to detox estrogens and really sweep out um, toxins out of our gut. And again, they're very nourishing. And often I would get the question, but aren't carrots high in sugar? And to me, that just demonstrates how afraid of carbs we are. The answer is yes, carrots do have a higher content of sugar than some other veggies. But because they're paired with fiber, they have all the vitamins and minerals. Um, they're nutritious for us. They're good for us. So they're going to actually spike our blood sugar less as well because of that fiber. And the type of sugar in carrots is very nourishing to our adrenals and hormone. I also love sweet potatoes and all the orange flesh, flesh veggies. The, the, they have a, a lot of beta carotene. The color um, orange really indicates beta carotene, which is uh, vitamin A, which is really good for our immune system as well. So again, choosing fiber-rich um, types of carbs is going to help keep our blood sugar stable and also feed our good digestion they keep us fuller longer, they serve as food for your good bacteria, help keep things moving and pre prevent constipation. I always say kind of be wary of those processed foods with the added fibers back in, things like fiber snack bars, because again, often these foods are just junk food disguised as healthy. And you know, I always also mention when you're incorporating fiber, just realize that if this is something your body is not used to, you want to work gradually work that in um, start with small amounts allow your digestive system to adjust also if you don't do well with raw vegetables realize that when you cook the vegetables it helps to make them more digestible as well and then i'd mention the glycemic index again glycemic index is a tells you how high or how fast uh, food is going to spike your blood sugar so looking at the glycemic index um, you can see what those values are. The other thing that I recommend is wearing a continuous glucose monitor. This is literally one of the most important things we can do for our health. Um, you'll get real-time feedback how your body is responding to certain carbs. And again, remember, you the first time you wear a continuous glucose monitor, your body may not be handling certain carbs well. But over time, as you're recovering your insulin sensitivity and you're handling carbs better, you'll see how your body responds to them. And again, you'll notice you'll probably do better with carbs that have fiber in them that don't. Um, you know, for example, and everybody's a little different in how they handle certain carbs. I'm what I call kind of a carb type. I handle carbohydrates very well. Um, complex carbs barely give me a spike in blood sugar, where some people would have a huge spike from rice. I don't get that. And so that kind of explains to me why when I've been on super low carb diets, they don't work that well for me because my body has insulin sensitivity, I'm processing carbs well, and you know, I tend to be very sensitive to stress and thyroid issues and adrenal issues, and so I'm one of those people that doesn't do as well with super low carbs for long periods of time. So I definitely recommend wearing a continuous glucose monitor. 
they last for two week period. And, um, you know, you don't have to do it can all the time. But I think it's really helpful to get that immediate feedback on how your body's processing them. You can ask your doctor if they'll write you a prescription or the one I use is NutriSense. And I've got a link to that below. Another thing you can consider is carb cycling. This is, um, you know, something that has been long used by weightlifters to lean out and then bulk back up. But it's it's something that a lot of people are using lately. Um, there's a, a lot of different ways you can do it. One day you could do it is two days of low carb, higher fat, followed by like a day of carb, a higher carb, lower fat called what's called like a refeed day. Um, you could also do something a little bit more extended on the low carb and then higher fat after like say five five or six days of low carb and people might call it like a splurge day on the weekend where you get to or enjoy something like pizza or dessert um, and again it'd be kind of that refeed day another approach and this is kind of my favorite approach is to do like a carb cycling within a day so starting your day with something um, lower in carbs or lower glycemic breakfast and then have your serving of starchy carbs at dinner again you know not like a gigantic plate of pasta or just pizza but having it be a part of a balanced meal um so like maybe a serving of rice or sweet potato or something like that again because that having that carb at, at your dinner is going to help to lower your cortisol and help you sleep so notice that if you've been having trouble sleeping and if you add that little serving of carbs at in dinner, uh, you might actually find that it actually benefits your sleep. So I've got an article um, on the science of carb cycling as well that I've got for you in the show notes if you're interested in learning a little bit more. And then again, one last thing, you could consider adding something called resistant starch. It's sometimes referred to as the skinny starch because it um, may benefit our metabolism and weight and blood sugar as well as our digestion. So the resistant starch is, gets its name because it essentially basically resists digestion. And what it does is it moves slowly through the digestive tract. We actually absorb about half the calories that we do from other starches, from resistant starches. And then it also helps to keep our blood sugar more stable. And it is a prebiotic fiber, meaning that it serves as food for the good bacteria in our colon. So again, it's called the skinny starch because it improves digestion, blood sugar, energy, and gut bacteria. It could potentially lead to balancing our weight as well as even lowering our risk of colon cancer. So again, I've created a little mini episode on resistant starch, so look for that. And I've also put together an ebook for you that includes some delicious recipes, including cookie dough balls and pudding and all kinds of yummy, d delicious desserts. So link to that is below. So thank you so much for tuning in to the podcast today. Remember, while low-carb diets can work amazingly for some people to help us get our metabolism working for us, just know that it sometimes can also backfire. Tune into your body, choose your carbs and their timing wisely. And thanks so much for listening. This is your Perfect Metabolism Podcast.